Since it's raining hard in Jamaica, let's go to page number 10. It's beginning to rain, and this is talking about, actually, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, more and more people coming into the church. Amen? Amen. I get my CD player to cooperate with me this morning. Page 10. I blew myself uh, sideways there. Thank you. 
Don't keep all breath for me in there. But praise God. Amen. God is so good to us. Amen. Very blessed fiesta of trumpets, everyone. I hope that you've been having a good day thus far. Down in Jamaica, the wind is blowing hard. I looked at the weather down there. It said the wind was 34 miles per hour. I guess that's miles per hour, maybe kilometers per hour or something <laughs> that they go by, maybe. And raining, and I believe I saw a forecast of about three inches of rain today there. So I don't know if the brother and sister was able to join together today or not, or if they're in their individual homes. I don't know. Uh, also the weather, the the hurricane Ian, they're calling it. It's uh, Spelt Jan, I-A-N, but they're pronouncing it Eon or Ian, something like that, because of the traditional uh, weird teachings, illogical teachings of agent languages. They don't know what they're talking about. And that hurricane is predicted, projected by the hurricane forecasters to hit eventually Florida as perhaps a category two or stronger is the current forecast as far as I know, uh, maybe around Wednesday or so. <clears throat> so we have to keep an eye on that. The Day of Atonement is not until October the 5th, which will begin our fasting on October the 4th. We'll continue to watch the news and watch the weather and watch, watch what's going on in world events because all of these things are very important for us to be aware of and educated of and understand. Now, very important to understand the events of our time. I appreciate everybody that's listening. I am disappointed that there's not more people listening, but perhaps some people may be having some internet connection problems, or computer problems, phone problems. But I have a feeling, a very strong feeling that some people or a person, a person has left the church, making every excuse in the book. Every excuse in the book. They can find, do not grow in truth, and not obey what the Bible says to do on this very high, very special holy day. That is the habit of the world, 
not of the true Christians, but the habit of the world to forsake the gathering of themselves together and to forsake the commandments of the Lord and to forsake their brothers and sisters and to forsake the ministry that God used to bring them to so much truth, more truth than they had ever found anywhere else before. And yet they will abandon it without even giving me the opportunity, without even giving me the opportunity to address the issues. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Because it's not like people can't reach me personally. Amen? It's not like the Pope or some TV evangelist that you can never actually talk to personally. I make myself available to everyone in the church. I make myself completely available, even even talking to people while I'm laying in bed, both morning and night, both when I'm getting ready to go to sleep and even before I get out of the bed, both times I am already talking with people, answering their questions, helping them, counseling with them. I'm available to the people. So when people do not give me even the opportunity to address any of their concerns, then that's not fair. It is rebellious. It is unreasonable. Nevertheless, we praise Jesus that such things, such events as this, people falling away, it reveals who really is part of us and who really is not part of us. Amen. Even as the Bible says that. That's what it says. That those that have left us, they really never was even part of us. Amen. Let's continue to pray for Brother Edward and his wife, Rita, in Scotland. Brother Meekness and his wife, Amanda, with her extreme emergency health problem in Zimbabwe. And as far as I know, they're at the doctor's office right now because it is acceptable, absolutely acceptable to get emergency medical care on the holy days and Sabbaths. Jesus said that you could pull your ox out of the ditch on the Sabbath. Amen. You don't leave your wife without emergency medical care just because it's a high holy day. People need medical attention. Amen. So it's completely, completely acceptable. They have my blessing and our prayers. Amen. So even though this is supposed to be a day of celebration, I am somewhat saddened and it's not going to be as much of a celebration today because of three things. 
One is dear brother Meekness and his wife Amanda and what they're going through today. And two is a continued lack of growing in the truth of the people. A holding on to traditional doctrines and previous doctrines of churches, what the meaning, what they thought the meaning was. I got a surprise message this morning of someone, you know, wanting to say, blessed fiesta of trumpets, this is what this day means. This day means uh, the symbolism of the last trumpet, the day Jesus returns, the battle of Armageddon. And I had to say, no, that's not what it means. I know that's what uh, most of the groups that keep the holy days teach that the trumpets pictures the last trumpet, the day Jesus, or and, and then they even add on to that, the day Jesus comes back in the battle of Armageddon, but none of those events happen on the same day. None of those. The last trumpet, coming of Jesus, uh, of course, he does come back on the battle of Armageddon, but he does not come back at the last trumpet all the way to earth, he doesn't. And the battle of Armageddon is not on the last trumpet. And it would be understandable if this was a brand new member. But they're not. So how long, how long have we been teaching the, the, the true meanings of these holy days? How long have we been teaching these true meanings of these holy days? How long has it been that we had the uh, revelation of the prophetic end-time dates? So as I go to today's sermon, and the sermon from this past seventh day, some of you may be thinking, okay, now let's move forward. We already know this stuff. Let's move forward. But the reality is, is that we still got members that has been with us for a long time that still don't know what these days mean. So it's important to teach this and teach it and teach it and teach it until everybody understands and then we'll always have new members as well and they've got to learn. So for the people that already understand these things, please have patience with me as I have to teach both new members and old members as well needing to be taught to understand these things. And then the third reason I am saddened today is how that some people do not want to participate and are lazy and complacent and using every excuse they can find to not participate and not stay in contact and not talk to each other. And 
socialist. So this day of celebration is dampered because of those three reasons. Nevertheless, we'll try to rejoice through the midst of tribulation and trial. We'll put our minds in the Lord and rejoice that he did give us the truth about these holy days, what they mean, what they really mean, and the extreme importance of these days. Extreme importance of these days on that. He revealed these things to us, not just to me, but to you and to anyone that would be willing to accept the truth and seek it out, to read about it and learn about it and embrace what is so clearly obvious once you have it pointed out to you. Amen. Yeah. It's really not that difficult to understand, nor is it difficult to believe when you examine the evidence. So we'll examine the evidence again a little bit today. But a greater examination of the evidence is available on the internet, not just any website, but I saw the light ministries website. Amen. And all we do at I saw the light ministries website is point you to the scriptures and to history, to documentation, to proof. So when I say, have said before, if you want the truth, the last thing you to, you should do is read a website on the internet. I have said that recently, and that's generally true. That if you want to know the truth, stay off the internet. But at the same time, I point people to our website because what we do at the website is point you to the Bible and document history. We give you the evidence, we give you the proof, so it's not like the other websites that just throw things at you and hope it sticks. We give you the proof. Amen. So that's entirely different from all those other websites. And we encourage people to fast and to pray concerning each of the topics, which is also extremely unique. You don't see that on those other websites. Exactly. There's a big difference. Okay, so with all that said, let's go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day, this fiesta of trumpets. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed to your people what these days mean. We thank you, Lord, for the importance of this day and of all of your appointed times. Thank you that we can learn by observing these days. We can learn about past events and future events and your plan of salvation. These days are full and overflowing with significance. We thank you, Lord, for such wonderful teachings, for such wonderful revelations. Thank you that this understanding is available by reading the Bible. But we also need teachers to understand the Bible better, that hear your voice better, that are more experienced 
in the teachings of the Lord. So we pray that people, when they are in doubt, when they are confused, that they would give the pastors of this ministry and the deacons and the leaders of this ministry worldwide the opportunity to counsel with them, which is the right thing to do. There is wisdom in counsel. We ask you, Lord, for your help for Amanda in this emergency situation. Your mercy, your grace, your help in this situation for Amanda. We lift up to you, Brother Meekness, her young son, this entire situation, the medical test, the diagnosis, the medicine, and all the needs of that family. We lift up to you, Brother Jonathan, that is in prison, and his health. We lift up to you, Edward and his wife in Scotland. We lift up to you, Karen and Kiki and AJ and so many others around the world, my wife and others that are suffering. We lift up to you, Christine in Texas. We lift up to you, all those that follow this ministry who are in need and all those that follow this ministry. We thank you, Lord, that you know every person and their needs. And now we also pray for special anointing on the remainder of these services and on this lesson, on this spiritual food that we are about to receive. Please help the people, help us, help me, help you to understand these days, what they mean, and the prophetic timeline, and the events of the future, so that we would not be ignorant, so that we would not misunderstand or be confused, and that we may be prepared, ready, for the prophetic events of the future, having understood when they are to occur and the significance of these days. Thank you, Lord, that all of this is possible through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise Jesus. Let's turn to the book of Revelation. Chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11.
We read uh, on Saturday, the seventh day, um, parts of this chapter, a lot of it. We saw that it speaks of the two witnesses prophesying in their ministry for three and a half years. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 11. Verse 2 says that they're going to witness for 42 months during the time that Persia, Iran, Russia, China, Ezekiel 37, is uh, in control of Jerusalem. The invasion and captivity of Israel, not just Jerusalem, but all of Israel, for those 42 months. And then <clears throat> that same 42 months is also spoken of in verse 3, as being 1,260 days. The Bible does not teach seven years. That is a false doctrine. Uh, there's no words in the entire Bible that mentions the end time great tribulation as being um, seven years, which would also be, you could phrase that as being 84 months. You'll never find the word 84 months in the Bible. Amen. Amen. So we have to get away from those traditional teachings. Most of your traditional teachings, Trinity, Christmas, Easter, Sunday, the letter Y names, you see in the traditional teachings, most of them are not correct. So we have to get away from most of those things. So it's very clear it's 42 months which is 1,260 days. Now, having declared 1,260 days for the Great Tribulation, let's turn to Daniel chapter 12. Because Daniel 12 is the key that begins to unlock the true meaning of some of the holy days, such as today, the Fiesta of Trumpets. What? is the Fiesta of Trumpets really about? Like I said, most of the groups, as we turn to Daniel 12, most of the groups uh, that keep the Holy Days wrongly believe that the Day of Trumpets pictures the last trumpet. Um, and some of them add to that, that Jesus would come back on this day, which he does not come back on the last trumpet. Uh, not all the way down to earth, that is. He will appear in the sky on that day as the saints are called up to meet him in the air, but he doesn't actually come down to uh, the surface of the ground yet on that day of the last trumpet. Uh, and he doesn't return to earth, and the saints do not return to earth until 41 and a half days later at the Battle of Armageddon, after the Day of Atonement. Forty-one and a half days after the Day of Atonement is the day Jesus comes back with the saints at the Day of the Battle of Armageddon. Now, how do I get all of that? How do I know all of that? And Daniel 12 is the key that begins to unlock all of that and much, much more. Daniel 12. And nobody told this to me. I read it. 
and I had read it many times before, but that particular day of that particular year, whatever year that was, several years ago, that particular day reading it, it just became something that I could understand because God had opened up the understanding to me, which then I must share with you. So, and it is completely self-evident in the Bible. So you don't have to trust me, and I don't want you to trust me, that God said this to me and revealed this to me. Because after I explain it, you will see how self-evident it is in the Bible. And that anybody could have found it if they had studied it enough. Amen with the help of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Of course, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not going to understand it. So Daniel 12, uh, let's see where to start here. <clears throat> verse 4, verse 4, and you, Daniel, could seal the words and seal the scroll until the time of the end. That's what I had said on Saturday, is that Daniel was told to conceal the words, to seal the scroll. So these things could not be understood into our time. They could not be understood by Herbert W. Armstrong, which died in 1986, I believe it was and other people that died in the 80s and 90s and before that, and the people that still hold on to the teachings of that time era and earlier. Those are not, not correct teachings because we have to move forward into what God is revealing now that more of the scrolls are now more opened more revealed, more understandable as time goes on. And it says, until the earth is filled with madness, violence, and unrighteousness. And, of course, it's been like that since the late 1800s, but it gets worse every decade as all the seals continue to be opened and everything continues to be increased. And it's never been like it is now. Uh, and that's where I said King James and those other Bibles translate this as until knowledge is increased and people go to and fro. And we can learn from that translation as well. I believe that both translations are correct in the spirit. If you put aside which translation is better in the actual literal translation, word by word by word, that's one thing to debate. But there's another thing about the spiritual realm and the spiritual principle and the spirit of the law, the reality of the different things that God is saying to us is I believe that both are true that as the seals begin to open up to us, that they would both be true, that there would be knowledge increase as the seals become knowledgeable to us there would be spiritual knowledge increase as well as the corrupting knowledge 
of the tree, forbidden tree of the knowledge, is what is called the forbidden tree of knowledge of uh, the, uh, the tree of knowledge, I guess is what it's called, right? Knowledge of good and evil. So, but that's a knowledge of, it's a false knowledge. It is a corrupting knowledge. It is deciding for yourself what's right and wrong. And that's what the world is doing in science with the COVID injections. Instead of following the law of God with the COVID injections and the knowledge of God and righteousness, they're following insanity and false knowledge. Amen. So then we see here, uh, let's go down. Verse 8, and I heard that I understood not. And I said, O Lord, what will be the end of these things? And he said, Go, Daniel, for the words are closed and sealed up until the time of the end. Many will be tested and thoroughly whitened and tried with fire and sanctified, but the transgressors shall transgress, and none of the transgressors shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Amen. Now, who are transgressors? The book of uh, John, 1 John. One John three verse four says that the transgression of the law is sin. So the transgressors are those people that do not keep the Sabbath and refuse to keep the Sabbath. They do not keep the holy days and they refuse to keep the holy days. You can show them all the Bible verses that you want to. Zechariah fourteen, the commandment to keep tabernacles even after Jesus returns. And all the verses in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament about the apostles continuing to keep the holy days even 50 plus years after the crucifixion of Jesus. You can show them all these verses and they would still reject it because they don't want the truth. They don't love the truth. They think they're right. The full pride, they can't admit their parents was wrong. They can't admit their pastors are wrong. They can't admit that the majority of the world is wrong. They can't admit the Pope is wrong. They can't admit that they have been wrong. They're full of pride and sin, and they are very hard-headed and rebellious. And even though we might love our parents, our husbands, our wives, our children, our friends, the reality is still... If you show them what the Bible says and they do not accept it, they are wicked because the Bible is easy to understand after you have somebody to point it out to you who does have the Holy Ghost, who can understand, who does understand, and is pointing it out in a simple way. It's not just only that they're meant for the second resurrection. It's not just only they don't have the Holy Ghost, therefore they can't understand. But rather, it is also and primarily they don't want the truth 
And the more that you continue to share the truth with them, they are going to turn against you more and more and more. As your light becomes brighter and their heart becomes darker, there will be a separation. And you will have to make a decision. God or wicked people? Which one? That should not be all that difficult. Revelation 18, verse 4 says, Come out of her, my people. And even though that is speaking of both a literal city in the Middle East and all false religion, it is also speaking of the company, the companionship with evil people. People that absolutely refuse the truth no matter how easy it is, like the Sabbath. The Sabbath is so easy, you know? So basic, so elementary. You know, the resurrections are also very basic, very elementary, according to the Bible. It says that's one of the elementary things the Bible says. Corinthians. And yet they still want to believe that as soon as you die, you go to heaven or hell, Yet the resurrections were such an elementary thing that a child could understand. Amen. So anyway, perhaps more on that later, maybe, as the Spirit moves me. But it says here in Daniel 12, verse 11, and from the time, from the time of the alteration or removal of the long-term altering, when the abomination of desolation shall be allowed, there shall be 1,290 days. Verse 12, blessed is he that waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Okay, so... We've got two time frames listed there, 1290 and 1335 days. Now, we already have already declared in Revelation 11, which is also agreed upon in another verse, somewhere in Daniel, another verse in Daniel, somewhere, it talks about a time and times and half a time, which is three and a half times. So that's three and a half years. So it's not just only. Revelation 11. So once we have already declared that the great tribulation is 1260, and then we see this 1290, and it is the answer to the question of how long it's going to take until the end of these things. So it's in that context. So the difference between 1260 and 1290 is 30 days. This is simple. That's simple math. Amen. I'm not even that great with math, algebra, and geography, or whatever, all that, all that stuff. But this is simple math. 1290 minus 1260 is 30 days. And then, 
if you were to apply that to the holy days, and if we were to start on the holy day of Parent, which is in March, there is exactly 30 days between Parent and the first day of unleavened bread, the day after Passover. Exactly 30 days. And Param, when you read about Param in the book of Esther, chapter 1, especially in the AOB Bible and the Greek Septuagint, has a lot of different words in Esther 1 that is very easy to understand that it is a prophetic symbolism of the end time of the Great Tribulation, the beginning of the Great Tribulation. So if we was to start with the day of Perm and count 30 days, come to the first day of unleavened bread. First day of unleavened bread has a significance in the book of Exodus as being the day that they crossed the Red Sea and obtained their freedom from Egypt. For us, that would be freedom from Babylon. Amen. Freedom from false religion and also freedom from uh, this world of, of uh, fake friends, fake family, wicked people, transgressors. A freedom from those people, from bad company. Amen. So it is a day of escape a day of deliverance from this bondage that we are under with the internet and so forth and all the false gods that were in Egypt and that are present in this current world. I think we would come to, well, there's your 30 days, then you got 1260 for the Great Tribulation. Now we read again in Revelation 11, that at the end of the 1260, when the two witnesses finished their testimony, that the two witnesses were laid dead in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And then the saints were called up with the two witnesses at the same time. 1 Corinthians 15 says that the dead in Christ shall rise uh, at the last trump. We also said in Revelation 11 that the Ark of the Covenant appeared in the temple of God when the saints are called up, the two witnesses are called up. We also saw in the book of Revelation that that, that occurs at the seventh trumpet, which is the last trumpet, in agreement with 1 Corinthians 15. All of this is easy. This is all simple. Very simple, very easy. All you got to do is read it. Amen. Just have somebody point it out to you. And once somebody points it out to you and you see it with your own eyes, then it becomes easy, even without the Holy Ghost, because you have a teacher, because you have somebody pointing it out to you. It may not be the head pastor of the ministry, but a friend, a family member, a husband, a wife, whoever, pointing it out to you, then it should be self-evident, self-evident at that time. Amen.
you have the Day of Atonement being the only day, if you read the Bible, that once the, day of, once the Ark of the Covenant reached its destination after it had traveled and reached its de- destination into the Holy of Holies uh, behind the curtain uh, in the temple of God or in the sanctuary, it was only on the Day of Atonement that any human at all, it would only be the high priest of that time, but he was a human, and that would be the only day of the year that a human could see the Ark of the Covenant. And that's the way it was, year after year after year after year after year. So the fact that the Ark of the Covenant is visible when the saints are called up tells us that's going to happen on the Day of Atonement. So if you start out the count on Purim, count your 30 days, come to the Day of Unleavened Bread, count 1260 for the end of the Great Tribulation, then count three and a half days for the uh, two witnesses to lay dead in the streets of Jerusalem, then you come to what day on the calendar? The Day of Atonement. So not only do you have the speculation that it's the Day of Atonement because Revelation 11 says that we see the Ark of the Covenant, but also just counting the days of 30 plus 1260 plus three and a half days brings you to the Day of Atonement. So then that proves that it's not just a speculation. It's not an assumption. It really is the Day of Atonement because that's the day that you fall on by counting the number of days, beginning at perm, then you would fall on, end up at the Day of Atonement at 1,293 and a half days. You would come out to the Day of Atonement. So that proves it. Amen. Amen. And then also the fact that the traditional, I know we should get away from those traditional doctrines, but not all of them are wrong, just most of them. But the traditional legend, the traditional teaching of the Day of Atonement among the Jews is that that is the wedding feast day. The wedding feast day. Well, what day would that be? That would be the day the saints are called up into heaven for the marriage supper. Amen? That's the marriage feast day. So even the legend of the Jews that date back thousands of years, that also brings additional, not that we need additional, but it does bring additional verification, confirmation to that understanding. So we have multiple now, not just one, not two, but now we have multiple reasons to believe. And there's even another reason that I hope to be able to get to very soon. And I believe right now is the perfect time to bring it up. Let's go to Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34. Another, this would be the fourth reason to believe it. Page 26. Page 26 in the Book of Prophets, Isaiah 34, verse 1. A fourth reason to 
to believe very firmly now that the saints are called up on the Day of Atonement for the marriage supper of the Lamb at the seventh trumpet. Isaiah 34, verse 1. Let me check a message coming in from Brother Meekness right now in Zimbabwe. So uh, Amanda has malaria, according to the doctor, that she has malaria. We have uh, the complication of severe arthritis uh, in association with the malaria. And she has been given antibiotics. So that's an update, and I believe that's a good update because she's gotten some medicine. She's been given some antibiotics, praise Jesus, and at least now we know what's wrong, and that's good to know what's wrong so that we can continue with the proper herbs and natural remedies in addition to the antibiotics at the same time. Amen. Now let's move forward in Isaiah 34. Verse 1, draw near, you nations, and obey, you princes or leaders. Let the earth hear, and they that are in it, the world, and the people that are in it. For the wrath of Jesus is upon all nations. Let's underline the word wrath of Jesus so that that helps us to understand what we're talking about. The wrath of Jesus upon all nations, and his anger upon a number of them, to destroy them and to give them up to slaughter. Let's underline the word slaughter. And their slain shall they cast forth, and their corpse, and their odors shall come up, and the mountains should be made wet with their blood. And all the powers of the heavens shall melt, or the skies, that really should say. And the sky should be rolled up like a scroll. And all the stars shall fall like leaves from a vine, and as leaves fall from a fig tree. Where did we read that? Just the other day. On Saturday, we read that in connection with the sixth seal. Amen? The sixth seal. And what did we say about that, Saturday, is that the sixth seal <coughs> will usher in <coughs> one year time frame, or perhaps the seventh seal, 
Esther's in a one-year time frame, whichever that is. There's only about a month, maybe a month, a day, and an hour difference between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, a year and a month, and a, and a day and an hour, according to the Bible, between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. <clears throat> So what we're seeing here is the one-year wrath, and that's going to be confirmed as we continue to read. This is the one-year wrath. Like I said on Saturday, there is a one-year wrath, and then there is a final 41-and-a-half-day wrath after that year. We know that this is the one-year wrath because it's talking about the sixth seal, which occurs a year before Jesus comes back. So this is talking about the one-year wrath. That's why we underline the word wrath of Jesus in verse 2. We know it's the one-year wrath because he's talking about the sixth seal and not the seventh. And not the uh, last trumpet. Verse 5, my sword has been made drunk in heaven because it has come down upon Edom, and with judgment upon the people doomed to destruction. Verse 6, the sword of Jesus is filled with blood. It is gutted with fat, with the blood of goats and lambs. And with the fat of goats and rams. So, if we have underlined already in the AOB Bible, goats, lambs, and rams, that's three different types of animals thus far that are being slaughtered or sacrificed. But Jesus has a sacrifice in Bozar and a great slaughter in Edom, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia. And the mighty ones shall fall with them, the great leaders of the earth falling with them, and the rams, which has already been mentioned, and the bulls, which is now a fourth animal. The bulls. So now we've got goats, lambs, rams, and bulls. Four different, distinct, separate type of animals. Now, if you were to go back to probably Leviticus, Deuteronomy, somewhere like that, you would see that those are the four specific animals that are sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. So what we have here is a year wrath that begins on the day of Pentecost and ends on the day of atonement a year after that. Verse 8, for it is the day of judgment by Jesus and the year of the repay for the cross of Zion in judgment. So here in verse 8, we have the word year. The year of repay. The word atonement actually means repay. We've always been taught that it means at one. And I believe there are two meanings of the word atonement. I believe there are two meanings and that both are correct, that it is at one with God because we are called up to be at one with God on that day. But I believe that, even though that's true, I believe it has a, a more accurate 
and a more complete and a primary, a main definition of repay. In the context of appeasement of God, repay as meaning that not only are people being paid for their sins, receiving the judgment for their sins, and receiving double judgment for their double sins, but also that the sacrifice of these wicked people, these wicked people being slaughtered, is appeasing God, satisfying God. A lot of carnal, carnally-minded people, wickedly-minded people would be like, but I thought God is a God of love. Why would he be satisfied? Why would he be appeased by the slaughter of human beings? Well, let's consider who is being slaughtered. Bill Gates, George Soros, and other likes, other similar type of people the wicked, the wicked leaders, the wicked leaders of the world, and the wicked uh, TV evangelists, those that have deceived millions and millions of people, those that have blinded millions of people, those that have oppressed the poor, those that have slaughtered millions of babies. Amen. Those that have voted for Obama without regret, without repenting because that's a, that is a vote for the slaughter of millions of defenseless, innocent, little babies. They deserve the slaughter. And yes, not only will God be satisfied, I will be satisfied. And the church should be satisfied. And instead of pointing a finger at God and saying, he is evil and I do not understand why he's so evil, what we should be doing is pointing a finger at Satan and all the evil people. Why are they so evil? Instead of making God the villain all the time. Instead of making God being the one that is unfair, it is the devil that is the cause of the destruction, of the death of, of all the slaughters. The devil is the one that initiated the fall from heaven and the fall from God. The devil is the one that did this. Amen. So we have here a fourth reason to believe, and not only believe, but to know that the Day of Atonement ends the one-year wrath and begins the final wrath in which uh, is connected with that Day of Atonement. Amen. Now, if we were to count backward one year from the Day of Atonement to get to the beginning of the one year of that, then we come to the Fiesta of Trumpets of whatever year that's going to be. And the reason we come back to the uh, Fiesta of Trumpets rather than the Day, rather than the day of Atonement if you start out with the Day of Atonement of that particular year, 
and count backwards one year instead of falling, ending up at the Day of Atonement again on the previous year, you come back to trumpets because there's only nine or ten days between the two days. And when you go in the Roman calendar and go backward the number of days in the year, then you come to trumpets rather than the Day of Atonement. The trumpets would be the opening of the seventh seal, even though it talks about the sixth seal here as well, but there's only a month difference between those two events of the sixth seal and the seventh seal. So it's all connected here in this verse. It's all connected and intertwined. But it's easy to understand when you lay it out on a calendar. It becomes much easier to understand and to explain when you have a calendar right in front of you. And also when you understand and consider the uh, symbolism of each and every holy day that we're talking about, as well as the other ones that are connected on the same end-time prophetic timeline. So what we come out with is you've got, you've got Purim, you've got Unleavened Bread, Passover season, you've got Pentecost for the opening of the sixth seal, you've got Trumpets for the opening of the seventh seal, and Atonement for the day that we're called up to heaven. So that's five holy days that are on this calendar, end-time prophetic timeline. Five holy days. Not just one, not just two, or just three, or four, but five holy days on the end-time prophetic timeline of events. And all five of those will have some type of significant end-time prophetic fulfillment of what the Bible predicts for the end time. Five holy days with significant fulfillments in our time. And if you were to count from Perm, or even if you were to go backwards and count from the Day of Atonement, or even if you were to start with Pentecost, or even if you were to start with Trumpets, if you had only one piece of the puzzle and did not understand yet all the other pieces, but if you had only one piece of the puzzle of those five, if you had only one piece of the puzzle and understood the significance of Pentecost, being the opening of the sixth seal, the 144,000 evangelizing, resulting in a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon the whole earth, resulting in what we call a great revival upon the earth. And compare that to Revelation 2. I mean, not Revelation 2, but Acts 2 of the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost being poured out, many people being baptized and saved. And what Peter said there in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, that he was pointing to the sixth seal. And he wrongly thought it was the opening of the sixth seal that year. But he, he wrongly thought it because he recognized a correct connection between the day of Pentecost and a great revival, the pouring out of the Holy Ghost, because of the book of Joel that he quoted, Joel 2 and 3. So we're not assuming things here. We know 
that there is a connection because Peter saw a connection between Pentecost and the opening of the sixth seal. So if you had only that piece of the puzzle and started counting in both directions, to the left and to the right, both forward and backwards, about the number of days between each, each end time event that the Bible talks about. It talks about not only 1260 and 1290 and 1335 days, but it also talks about a year of repay. It also talks about a year and a month and a day and a half. It also talks about five months, somewhere in there. So when you lay all these different things out and what happens on those days, what happens at the beginning of each one of those time frames, what happens at the end of each one of those time frames, and just lay it out on a calendar, then you would start out with only that one piece of the puzzle, but end out understanding the entire time frame. So if the Pentecost, whooping on the sixth seal, is correct, then it would automatically bring you, just by counting the days, it would automatically bring you to everything beginning at term and the great escape, the second exodus occurring on the day of unleavened bread, and the catching up of the saints on the day of atonement. All of those would automatically fall in line in the timeline. But if you only, if you only understood trumpets and not Pentecost, if you did not understand about Acts 2 and Joel 2 yet, and you only understood that trumpets is talking about the beginning of the blowing of trumpets. Amen. Now, like I've said two or three, four times now, most roots teach that this day is the blowing of the last trumpet. But there's not any Bible verse for that. Amen? There's nothing in the Bible to lead us to believe that this day is the blowing of the last trumpet. There's nothing in the Bible to indicate that in any way, shape, or form. But there is something in the Bible to lead us to believe is the blowing of the first trumpet. For one thing, everything I've already said, how they all come out like that. But for another thing, the lacking of evidence that is pointing to the last trumpet, because that would be pretty specific. Amen. And we already know that the last trumpet is the Day of Atonement. That's real easy to figure out once you have it pointed out to you, right? The last trumpet is the Day of Atonement. You can figure that out real easily in the Bible by reading only Revelation 11 and the chapters around it talking about the seals and the trumpets. So that's real easy. So that's already proven. I gave you four proofs of that already, and there's other proofs as well. So that's already proven. So the trumpet's day today cannot picture the last trumpet because that slot is already taken. Amen? That seat is already taken. So automatically, by default, the day of trumpets today pictures the blowing of all the trumpets, the blowing of the first trumpet, which occurs at the opening of the seventh seal. The blowing of the first trumpet, which then brings all the trumpets in line, one after another after another. 
It's not called the fiesta of last trumpet. Because it does have the word trumpet in the name. If it was specific to the last trumpet, then it would say so. People say, but the Day of Atonement doesn't say last trumpet. That's not a logical response to my statement. Because the Day of Atonement does not have the word trumpet in there. It doesn't have to say last trumpet. But the fact that the fiesta of trumpets does have the word trumpet in it, in the title, the name of this day, then automatically logic would say that if it was specific to the last trump, it would say so. Or there would be some kind of indication in the Bible at the very least. But you don't have you don't have it as an indication, neither do you have it in the name. Now all of these facts are proof, among many other proofs, that we should keep the holy days in the new covenant time frame and in modern times. Absolute proof. Absolute proof. You can't deny it. And anybody that denies that this is proof that you have to keep the holy days, they are a transgressor by on purpose. Amen. Not just because they're not being called, but because they willingly choose to not believe what is simple and easy to believe if you just read it and have somebody point it out to you. They are a transgressor of willingness, of their own free will. Not God's plan, not God turning them away, not God calling, not calling them, but rather their own choosing. I'm telling you, that every person that ends up perishing and being punished in the lake of fire will have chosen death. Amen. And that's what the Bible says too. People choose life or death. Deuteronomy 3.11 says, I set before you this day both life and death, both cursings and blessings. Blessings if you obey. Just like a parent and a school system. Of course, we have a corrupt school system now. But if we go back to ancient times, when it wasn't as corrupt, when it was different, when they wasn't teaching homosexuality and transgenderism and all that crap, when they wasn't teaching liberal things, being a sinner, being a transgressor, that's what a liberal is. But rather, what school was really supposed to be about, if it was done correctly, is that the school people and the parents want the best for the children. They want to teach their children history so that the future can be brighter. Amen. And so there's punishment when they don't obey, when the children are rebellious and don't want to learn. They get an F grade. They get a spanking. They have to repeat the course. They have to repeat the life. They have to repeat. Amen. If you fail this life, get an F in this life, you have to repeat the grade level in the next life. Amen. 
But not only do you have to repeat the grade level in the next life, but also the parents spanks you, both now in this life now. Amen? God is a good father. Amen. The Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. Amen. And that's true. If the father does not punish the people for their lawlessness, for their transgression, the children, the people of this earth, will be spoiled rotten. They have to learn their lesson by being disciplined. The Bible says that he disciplines us because he loves us. That's true. That's logical. Amen. Amen. It's not evil of God to punish people. What is evil is that the people choose it. They willingly choose death and destruction and punishment because their hearts are so hard. They're such hard-headed, rebellious, stiff-necked people that even when something simple and easy is right in front of their eyes, they still say, no, it wasn't God. It's ridiculous. And how much longer are we going to put up with such people? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, Two, that we are not to be unequally yoked together with those people. And that is should be applied in many different ways in our life. Many different ways in our life. Our marriages, our friends. It's one thing to continue to witness to people who listen to you and hear you out and don't tell you that you're wrong. That type of person, I'm all for staying friends with them, even though they may be sinners and transgressors, because we can't completely separate ourselves from the whole world. Amen. And the Bible talks about that, that we are not to separate ourselves from the whole world, from everybody. You've got to have somebody to talk to. You've got to have a story to go to. You've got to have a doctor. But they're all sinners. They're all transgressors. So we can't separate ourselves from the whole world. But our primary company of people that we keep company with on a regular, everyday basis, who we hang out with, who we live with, who we marry and date, and stuff like this, these type or inner core group of people, those are the people that you must be more careful and more, much, 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 much more selective. It's because your inner core of people, those are the people that are touching you every day, filling up your ears every day, filling up your eyes every day, filling up your soul, your mind, your mentality on a daily basis with corruption. Those are the people that are going to lead you to death and destruction. They will carry you to death and destruction with them. Bad company corrupts manners, the Bible says. Amen? You can be a person that is uh, maybe um, drink way, 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 way too much and it's a bad addiction and therefore it becomes alcoholism and that's bad and the Bible says the alcoholic will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing wrong with drinking. There's nothing wrong with a man getting occasionally drunk. Even as Noah got drunk and Joseph got drunk and Judah got drunk and all the men of the Bible got drunk for the most part. 
people don't like it when I say that, and they hang up immediately and they say, I would never listen to him again because they don't want the truth. They themselves were transgressors, buried in legalism, buried in traditional false doctrine, buried in the idea that we should ignore every one of those examples I just listed. Just ignore them. But the alcoholic, if he wants to recover from the alcoholism, then he should stay out of the bar and not hang out with other people who are drinking. Amen. So if you're struggling with that particular issue and you continue to live with alcoholics and go to the bar and socialize with alcoholics, then you can say all you want to that they're not going to corrupt you, that you're strong, that you're strong in the Lord and that you're not going to fall away and that you're going to be fine. You can say all that and believe that all you want to, but you're deceiving yourselves. You have to separate yourself from the people that would drag you down into that sin that you want to recover from. Same thing with homosexuality, that if you're struggling with that, you cannot continue to socialize with other homosexuals because they would keep you in bondage. The same thing with people that continue to keep Christmas and Easter and Sunday and King James only and other false doctrines that refuse to accept the voice of the Lord if you continue to live with them and socialize with them and be great friends with them, best friends with them, hang out with them, eventually, despite you thinking you're strong enough, their continued defilement of your temple and mind and ears and eyes will eventually lead your way. I have seen it. It can happen. Don't say it can't. It can. People fall away every day. This is, a, this is the time of the great falling away in 2 Thessalonians 2. This is the time of the great falling away. Don't think it can't happen to you. The Bible talks about repeatedly over and over that we should guard ourselves, that we should hold tight to the truth and to the faith. We have to guard ourselves from people that would try to pull us away. So like I said, if a person will listen to you and not say that you're wrong, but just say, well, that's interesting, that's an interesting uh, point of view, and just leave it at that, then we can stay friends with them. But once they say those words, you're wrong, or you're deceived, or you're lost, or you're following a cult, or something along those lines to actually reject it, literally reject it, what did Jesus say to do? He, he told us what to do in that case in Matthew chapter 10, I think it was, that he said that when you, when you go into a house and you give them your word, your word of, a, of truth, and they reject it, that you are to leave that house that you are to remove your blessing from that house, your peace from that house, and you are to shake the dust off your feet, which is a symbolism or a method of cursing a person. 
by a cultural Middle Eastern culture that is a curse. And it is removing yourself from that person. It is disfellowship from that person. It is saying to that person, don't call me, don't write me, don't knock on the door, don't visit me. This is it. I'm not going to have anything to do with you because you have had the opportunity. You have had the opportunity to accept the truth. I have laid it before you. I have given you the article. I have given you the Bible verse. I have told you about the miracles of God, how powerful and amazing they were, the confirmations that God gave me, and you threw it in the trash and treated the miracles of God like trash. How long are you going to put up with that? How much do you love God? And how much are you willing to deny yourself? The book of Luke says, and even Matthew says, that anyone that is not willing to forsake their own wife, their house, their brothers, their sisters, their children, if you're not willing to forsake those other people in the flesh, those sinners, those transgressors, then you are not worthy of me. As I said, Matthew had a good job, good pay, good benefits, power and authority as a government official, as a tax collector. They had a lot of power and authority, the tax collector did. About as much authority as the tax collectors are going to get under Biden. And Matthew walked away from his job immediately, no second thought, did not look back, had no regrets. And all the men that followed Jesus, 12 of them, only one was a traitor. And they left wives and jobs and families and children and houses and careers and money to wander around, walking around on foot mostly throughout different villages and regions, not knowing where their next bite would be. Jesus even told a group of men to even not even take extra money or even sandals on their feet. Just go. They didn't fight him on it and make every excuse in the book. How much time we got left in this world? How much time we got left in this world? Amen. How much time are we going to waste on people that will never, ever, ever, ever accept the truth until the next lifetime? How much time are we going to waste with those people in hopes? I've heard it over and over. Paul said, Paul said, Paul said, Paul said that you don't know. Maybe you can lead that husband or wife to the Lord. Paul is dead, and the apostle Zimmerman is alive, and God is alive. And the Paul himself said to not be unequally yoked. Paul himself said that. 
People just want to make excuses. And the reality is they don't love God more. They don't love God more than everybody else. They don't realize how great and wonderful God is. They're not yet in love with God. They think they're in love with God, but they're not. Amen. Jesus asked Peter the question, do you love me? Peter said, I like you. And that's what people are saying today. God is saying, how much do you love me? And people are saying, I love Paul more. I love the Apostle Paul more. That's what people are saying. People may call me extreme, radical. The truth is, I am extremely for the Lord. Amen. Praise God. In the past years, previous years, there were several, several different years that we saw amazing, huge foreshadowings of the future fulfillments of Perm and the first day of unleavened bread. Huge foreshadowings, multiple years, even one of the years before I even knew anything about this end time timeline of how it would be fulfilled on the holy days. And yet we was already getting huge amazing, mind-boggling foreshadows, foreshadowings of these future events on the holy days, even before I even understood that. So that's not a placebo effect. Amen? When the foreshadowings were occurring on the day of Purim, even before I even was celebrating Purim, and even before I, I recognized Purim as being an end-time prophetic holy day, the foreshadowings, the foshadowings were already occurring on that date. So that shows it's not a placebo, which means, spiritually speaking, it's not just me and my opinion. Amen. It's not just me and my opinion. People should not doubt this timeline. We don't know what year yet, for sure. And I'm not going to try to say what year right now. We're waiting until we can't deny it, until the events unfold to make it self-evident and extremely clear and undeniable that it is at the door that it is coming, and then we will proclaim the year at that time when it is so clear that we can't deny it. Today, the fiesta of trumpets. It pictures the opening of the seventh seal, the blowing of the first trumpet leading to all the other trumpets. To accumulate on the Day of Atonement a year after that, for the Day of Atonement to be the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, and the first resurrection 
the catching up the saints into heaven for 41 and a half days. After the 41 and a half days, they land upon the earth with Jesus, all of them, Jesus and the saints returning on white horses on the day of the battle of Armageddon. Thank you for listening today. I'll see you on Saturday, November the 1st. And then after that, we're going to have the Day of Atonement on October 5th. And we'll start fasting at sunset on October the 4th. We will fast for 24 hours from all food. We'll drink only water. Some people can do without water if you so choose. But I, I always use water and water only for the Day of Atonement from sunset October 4th to sunset October 5th. Any questions right now about anything I've said, please feel free to begin to chat, begin to type into the chat room uh, any questions that you may have at this time. I'll try to give you a minute or two to, uh, to quickly type into the chat room, please, if you are registered and signed in to Mixler. Brother Gerald. Got anything to throw at me? Years back, I had actually broken shortened some code for a lunar calendar, since you can know the moon phase and the spring equinox, and get these months, get these months and days plotted out. And it does turn out to be um, fit this exact timeline, and practically every year, especially when you consider that the, the day of the new moon might be off by a day or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know that Brother Gerald, as well as Brother AJ in Korea, and others, I'm sure, have carefully examined this timeline to see if it really is truly the exact number of days between each holy day over a three-and-a-year timeline, over 1,335 days, spreading it over a calendar of three and a half years. <clears throat> is it true? Is this accurate? Is it down to the day with every one of these five holy days? About what the Bible says is the amount of time to eat between each one. Brother Gerald has examined that with a sincere heart, willing to accept that it's not true if it wasn't true, but willing to accept it is true if it is true. And he determined of his own accord, his self-examination of these facts, and found it to be true. And that's what he just said. And the same thing for Brother AJ in Korea. So this ain't just me. This is not just my opinion. This is not some cult leader deceiving people. Check it out for yourself. I've laid out the evidence, not only everything I've said today, but other facts many other facts and scriptures that you can, you can examine. I've laid it all out for you on the website at isawthelightministries.com slash dates.html. You can go to isawthelightministries.com slash dates.html or just go to isawthelightministries.com and use the search box that is on the bottom of the page on every page of the website there's a search box, and you can type into that search 
the term or the phrase words five holy days end time prophetic timeline or anything close to that and it will come up so praise god aj typed in to the mixler chat room he said i absolutely support the timeline amen so he has given his testimony thank you brother aj thank you brother gerald so this is not just me all right so let's not doubt the timeline it's been proven and it has been independently examined by aj and gerald both independently examined of their own accord amen anything else And that's something else you need to consider also is if this is the only ministry that we can find that we know of all across the internet out of millions and millions and millions and millions of websites and millions of denominations and churches and church leaders and evangelists and pastors and teachers and books and CDs and everything you got available to you and we're the only ones that have laid this timeline out like this of absolute proof. Then what does that tell you? Not just on the internet, all across history, what you can find written. Amen. Brother Gerald said, not only in the current time frame of what you can find on the internet, but throughout history, all the books that have been written throughout history uh, and all the resources available to us. Who else have declared all this? I'm not trying to exalt myself, but I am exalting the end time revelation that God is opening up to us, to you and me, to all of us. This ain't for me alone. Amen. The end time revelation that God has opened up, but, but who is God using? He's not using the family of Billy Graham, Benningham, Joyce Myers for this. He's using this ministry, you. He's using you and me. And this is a high calling, not just for myself, but for you. God has chosen you for a very, very special high calling it's like receiving a medal of armor a medal of honor from the king would you turn that down who would you allow to hinder you from receiving and accepting and maintaining being able to keep the medal of, of honor it's such a special privilege to be called and chosen because we was willing to accept. But also God was merciful to us, he gave us and did choose us and did give us this knowledge and did not call 
some other ministry that has millions of dollars and millions of followers. But he chose the little flock, as Jesus said, as he called the church, as he called his people, the little flock. Even as he called little David, that was shorter than his brothers and younger than his brothers. He had seven or eight brothers. I guess seven brothers. Yeah, he had seven brothers. And when Samuel came to the house, to David's dad's house, he said, you know, line up the boys. Line up the men. God has sent me to this house to anoint the king. Well, nobody called Daniel. David. David, thank you. Nobody called David into the house. They called all the other seven men into the house because they thought, surely, these guys are older, they're stronger, they're taller, they are the elders. These are the ones that God will anoint for king, one of these older boys. And Samuel looked upon all seven. He said, nope. The king is not here. Don't you have another son? He said, well, yeah, I have another son. He's a wussy. He's way out there. He's shorter. He's younger. He's out there. He's a shepherd. He's not but a shepherd. Samuel said, call this boy in this house. So they called him in from the field. The least likely. The least likely where nobody else, not even the brothers, not even his own dad, thought it would be David. But Samuel said, this is the one. This is the one. This is the chosen one. God calls the underdogs, not the rich and the famous so much, although he has done that too. But typically he chooses the underdog, the oppressed, the weakling, the poor guy the black sheep of the family. Praise God. We praise God for him choosing us and for his mercy upon us, his grace upon us, and for his mercy for those that continue in this march. I understand that some of the things I have said today are going to be very heavy upon some of you. Tough choices, tough directions, tough decisions. But everything I've said today is the God to honest truth, and you know it. The God to honest truth. Choose you this day whom you will serve, God or humans. Many people's lives could depend on what you choose to do. Many people's lives could depend upon the choice that you make about who you will serve, who you will obey, 
who you will allow to bribe you and hold you down and hinder you. What job, what house, what career, what person will prohibit you or hold you back or slow you down from following the Lord? Tough decisions, life or death. It all comes down to how much do you love God and how much you're willing to accept truth and love truth and want truth and really want salvation and really want to do right. It's basic humanity. Basic humanity. Will be will you be a dog or a saint? Which one? Thank you for listening. I'll let you go and continue to keep Amanda and everybody else in your prayers. I know all of you have needs. God help us all. Amen.